welcome one and all to Discovery, Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Lower Deck podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Ahoy, ahoy, Pete. I want the regular fan dance. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, featuring Lower Decks for episode 108, Veritas. Comes to you now via the Horn of Candor, one of our most sacred horns. And just a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode. First one up, Pete. Much love for Lower Decks, but we are less than three weeks away from Star Trek Discovery returning, which of course we will be bringing to you each and every week via podcast form. And what do you know, Matt? Photographic evidence has emerged of season four of Star Trek Discovery. You know, the Star Trek Discovery that is constantly erroneously reported as canceled. Uh, season four now underway, despite not being officially announced. Who knew, right? Filming in Toronto. <laughs> First, the picture outside a random, uh, uh, a, a random car park was declared two to be two pictures well, from two different angles. Because immediately the people shouted it down. You know, the same ones who constantly report the show having been canceled, that it was photoshopped, and then from a different angle, uh, clearly not photoshopped. Uh, then there was video of somebody walking by the sign outside a nondescript car park. Then uh, I went on Google Maps and said, hey, Pinewood Studios has these weird um, blue metal supports outside what looked to be soundstage. Wait, those are the same blue supports that appear in the video and the, the movie of the sign saying Star Trek Discovery cast and crew this way. Uh, let alone Doug Jones on Twitter uh, and uh, showing off his muscles, his ripped. Uh, personal. Getting he... ripped. Saru is going to be cage fighting in season four, man. Yeah, I mean, Doug Jones has had a, let's just say, Doug Jones has had a very, very good off-season slash lockdown season. Uh, Them's his muscles on top of muscles. Oh, and his personal trainer saying, look, I got Doug Jones ready for Star Trek Discovery season four. And he just actually had filmed a lower-budget horror film. Uh, it was an article a couple weeks ago I sent to Matt about the COVID compliance officers in uh, Los Angeles as they've started filming back up. So he has kept busy in many regards. And Pete, the, the, the dragon eating its tail or the snake or the circle or the cycle or whatever, just as CBS is starting to rerun slash i guess first time broadcast run whatever uh star trek discovery season one thursdays at 10 on cbs the ratings not great but uh wait a minute pete how much did it cost cbs to run those episodes what they initially paid for the show and now rerunning it again i would guess uh just that initial investment and the initial investment was also covered by netflix that paid at least for the production of the first season. Uh, I don't know if they're paying the exact same rate for seasons two and three, but point being, look, it shouldn't be any huge surprise that it got a 0.2 rating Thursdays at 10 PM on CBS. A people are kind of out of people are out of the cycle of watching, you know, kind of fall TV returning just because a lot of it isn't back yet. Second of all, for most Star Trek fans, it's a three year old episode, but it's gravy certainly for CBS and Pete, we're going to be rerunning our season one podcasts on Facebook. 
fantasticgeek.com, Apple Podcasts, sharing it via social media, etc. So that discussion, brand new from the past. You say three-year-old episode, Matt, yet we had at least one Facebook uh, page follower of Fantastic Geek ask, wait, when is it airing? What times? Cool. Haven't seen it yet. So this is going to bring new people to Discovery. Jump on with us. Uh, we'll get you through Season 1. You can follow Season 2. I can only imagine they'll air Season 2 on CBS, if not immediately after, at some point this uh, calendar, uh, calendar, this TV calendar year, this TV year, 2021. And then, you know, you get yourself that, season three that's coming and season four underway i will disagree slightly that season two will air i think that uh it's just in the last week that uh all the unions and whatnot in uh, los angeles have finally signed off on kind of covid production uh norms uh filming underway already for other shows in canada uh atlanta has been up and running for feel like close to a month although it's perhaps only a couple of weeks pete time still a fluid construct our time crystals that's a season two reference uh still humming and whatnot but point being there might be new new content to fill that cbs schedule but this an experiment that's all gravy and as you said pete bringing new viewers to star trek discovery maybe they're going to discover lower decks along the way as well with that here's our ready rundown program complete enter when ready we start in medias res with our lower deckers in a prison or dungeon, the bridge crew having been taken elsewhere. Our ensigns are elevated into what is clearly an alien courtroom with the witnesses asked to speak the truth about the senior officers. Ensign Mariner, give testimony! Flashback to a normal day doing repairs. They name drop Rogadanar, and I want a tattoo by my eye too. The ensigns have missed that there's a red alert. Mariner and Boimler to the bridge. The captain has just beamed in, having taken a map and shown too much gratitude. Boimler offers up some bad advice, and Mariner fires phasers instead of inviting the aliens to dinner. The prosecutor can't believe that there would be officers out of the loop. Rutherford is up to testify, and he talks EPS capacitor turning until Shax and Billups have Rutherford update his implant for Romulan intel, but it knocks Rutherford out. He wakes up having lost time, but the mission's going great. The implant took over. He blacks out and wakes up in a museum. Shaq's taking something from an oldie-time Romulan warbird. Rutherford blacks out again and wakes, standing in space. No, standing on the stolen Romulan warbird. He rescues Billups from lack of oxygen and blacks out. Rutherford wakes up at a Gorn wedding. The alien prosecutor wants more details, but Rutherford simply doesn't have it. Tendi's up, ready to testify. She's going to talk about going to the neutral zone with Ransom, but she was on a classified mission. Here goes. She was going to clean the conference room and was mistaken as a secret ops fixer called The Cleaner, who will extract Ransom and Starfleet Marines if needed. They took the stolen warbird to the neutral zone all the way to Romulus. The team extracts a coffin-sized package successfully. The alien prosecutor doesn't believe that she doesn't know what was in the package, and Boimler gives the grand reveal. They don't know anything. They're lower decks and out of the loop. 
Heck, even officers mess up sometimes. Like when Q arrives and makes them play death chess, or ransoms alien death dates, or Ta'ana getting on the wrong ship. Turns out these Starfleet heroes aren't infallible, just like Picard with the Borg, or Dr. Crusher hooking up with a ghost. Boimler wraps up, There's no proof of a crime, and this trial is a sham. Drumhead! Lights are brought up. This is no trial. It's a party for the brave crew who rescued the prosecutor, a.k.a. Magistrate Clar, from Romulus. The party silo room's time is up, though. The party's over. The party's been ruined! Wrap-up time. The Lower Deckers stood up for Starfleet. Moving forward, the bridge crew will keep the Lower Deckers in the loop. Plot questions? Captain Freeman, uh... Can't explain the loopholes. It's classified. Dismissed. Q then arrives. It's duel time. Mariner yells at him. No Q BS today. Go see Picard, mon ami. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. With that incoming threat analysis, Pete, let's talk villains, starting with Clar, voiced by whom? That would be Kurtwood Smith, Matt, in his third Star Trek appearance. Yes, great to have the president of the Federation from Star Trek VI back. Uh, you refer to another appearance. I assume you're referring to the in-canon uh, That 70s Show, which is a clear <laughs> descendant of Star Trek? No, the two-parter from Voyager, uh, unheralded, Year of Hell. He was the, uh, the character has a name. I'm not looking it up right now, but he was the, the scientist who was trying to get the, the time correct so he could bring his beloved wife back instead made uh janeway live on a decrepit voyager in like gas nebulas and stuff like that because every time they changed things stuff got crazy pete we also had as a villain the clicket captain from the ship twerk uh and that character though not on screen for very long uh voiced by uh the beloved discovery alum uh ken mitchell yeah, awesome that he can add Lower Decks to his resume. He's going to appear, Matt, in Season 3 of Discovery as a human character. So he's played a number of Klingon characters. And uh, yeah, to add a, another, uh, obviously not in the prosthetics here when you're doing the voice, but another alien character nonetheless for a guy who went public in... Uh, the winter with his diagnosis of ALS, great, great uh, opportunity and uh, fan reference. I wouldn't say service here because, uh, you know, people, I think, appreciate an actor despite, you know, what he's going through getting another job. Uh, they're also in the background of this unique story, which, of course, is presenting the main plot in the background itself. But we have the Romulans as villains having stolen Clar, uh continuing to maintain that neutral zone you know of course prior to the the sun going nova etc and uh they are they are the main baddies of the main story which is mainly off screen particularly the four warbirds that show up <laughs> to to intersect with the the one andorian dude who may or may not be using his antennae to know that they're scanning. I thought that was a great gag at that point, but yeah, I mean, the Romulans still at their, you know, height, uh, even redacted with their eyes, there, hating on the Remans, 
again, this is the time when they can still do that prior to the explosion of the uh, the sun there. I'll add to that. I remember uh, it might have been when the book The Art of Star Trek came out, you know, sometime in the mid 90s, that whole that whole publishing, I won't say glut, but that whole publishing, you know, explosion. Uh, there was always dissatisfaction on the next generation that the size of the Romulan warbird relative to the Enterprise was never completely made clear. Uh, it's supposed to be like two or three times bigger and just completely dwarf it. And yes, it helps when you're in a tiny old style warbird and the, the new one shows up. And yes, it helps when, I guess, when you have widescreen to help, I don't know, have perspective and whatnot. But each shot of those, you know, those Dideridex class warbirds, it was like, oh my goodness, it really is huge. It really is scary looking. It, it took all these years, but they finally got the ships to show up the way they wanted. And that otherworldly green glow definitely doesn't hurt Matt. But then final on our list here, Q, nay, the Q, voiced by John Delancey, this promised cameo that was coming. Yeah, great to see him. Also, you know, the the potency of the Q threat, uh, I think, diminished across the seven seasons of Next Generation, uh, in part because he was such a beloved character and the actor so beloved. Um, then, of course, add in, you know, Deep Space Nine appearances and Voyager appearances, which I would argue had uh, increasing uh, lack of potency. Uh, not to say that the character isn't great and not to say that it wasn't great to see him here, but to think that Starfleet has moved to a point where you basically know a Q encounter is going to be both terrifying and everybody's coming back from it okay. He is the kitten playing with the ball of string and the ball of string is going to be okay in the end, so just kind of put up with it or deal with it or not today, Q, we're too busy. Um, I think it was completely in line with everything that we've seen, and also there's your super fun fan service. The goofy puzzle threat that they're about to uh, to participate in uh, soccer balls, playing cards, chess, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and I love that uh the bridge crew is both familiar with him and uh mariner is familiar with him and hopefully it's not gonna be the last time we're gonna see q john delancey's q i really gotta think matt picard season two guinan coming back made a lot of sense there that john delancey's back with star trek uh we'll just have to see I'll just add, I really liked that the uh, alien playing cards brought to life had numbers in the font of classic Trek. Uh, that, of course, part of the weird gamble for their lives that they're going through. Pete, a much smaller gamble. In fact, hopefully no gamble at all is the people who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Hopefully they aren't concerned about the playing cards and soccer balls coming to life. The microphones <laughs> attacking, whatever it might be. Hopefully they know that they're helping keep us listener supported as we boldly go to the future. And as we shift gears here to the fourth quarter, Matt, of 2020, thank God. <laughs> um, and pretty soon the bill is going to come due for all our bandwidth storage, etc. As we have just officially added our 20th podcast feed to Apple Podcasts, the WandaVision podcast by Fantastic Geek with 
the trailer coming out the other day and uh, still no date, but we will be the ones bringing it to you on Apple Podcasts and FantasticGeek.com. And none of that happens without the good people at Patreon.com slash FantasticGeek. So thanks again. Pete, let's analyze some theories as we get our sensors going here. First one for me, this notion that the party room, quote unquote, was only given 22 minutes and could have had a bigger story. Um, I don't doubt that Mike McMahon loves animation. It's been his bread and butter. It's the way he came up, etc. Uh, that said, you think of you know, Brad Bird, you think of Walt Disney, they, you know, looking all sorts of animation people who eventually would leave it behind for other types of storytelling. Is that maybe a sideways way of Mike McMahon saying, hey, do you want to give me a, a lighter, maybe not quite, you know, as goofy as Lower Decks, but you want to give me 44 minutes and live action, I can make this party even better. Maybe I like that they're referencing the format uh in a in a real-time way um it it's cute it's cheeky much like this episode and this series aims to be pete what's on your theory radar search screen roga danar matt he of course the uh roguish you see what they they did there oh yeah and goshen soldier uh, what from the next generation episode, the hunter comes on the, uh, the, uh, enterprise there. Okay. Uh, Boimler's pick for, uh, you know, a badass character as opposed to Khan, which of course, uh, Mariner goes with. And, uh, Tendi seems to agree because of Ricardo Montalban's pectoral muscles. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, love all the references. The pecs, as we all know, were real, apparently. Uh, Pete, I don't know whether this is ultimately good news or bad news, but the minute they said Roga Dehnar, I could see his face. I could see the eye, that, <laughs> yep, the yep. near eye tattoo thing. I could see the whole outfit. Um, as I recall, it was kind of, it had the appearance kind of of a onesie. But, and in retrospect, though, it's not, it's it's not the flavor I go looking for. Uh, in retrospect, I think those pants were a little tight as he was running around. Um, but it was like I loved the reference, and then it was like, "Ooh, uh, Roga Denar is available in my brain for immediate recall." W what's that taking the place of? And and can't I do more math in my head? No, <laughs> but Roga Denar, and he was able to make it through the 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 beam. What was holding him in, or something? And perhaps proof, Matt. I know people have discovered. Uh, Badgie has a Twitter, uh, at com Badgie, two M's there, but Badgie made a reference to, uh, Beckett Mariner and Khan the day before the episode aired. And then there's this line in the episode. So I think we can finally determine that CBS is indeed behind the com badgy twitter account and i think uh badgy doing a better job than the grudge cat account there just kind of seems to be in character seems to be kind of like the lazy cat so this is this is all 
a bonus when they have this kind of this kind of playful stuff in social media um pete maybe even when the podcast is done maybe i'll even run a poll which one is better which outing of cbs all access for as long as it still is called that uh which which one is the better outing that could be a fun uh, a fun game to play how about that uh rutherford's messed with the red alert speakers it can apparently be red alert elsewhere and not in other places i mean granted they built it into the story that he uh you know disabled them because he was trying to make them louder but that was kind of a fun notion it was and and flashback to uh many years ago when i was sitting on a train in penn station in new york and kind of was like we're supposed to pull out of here we haven't pulled out yet and all of a sudden the conductor came on and said like physically you know came on not came on through the speaker and said did you guys hear that i said no he said there's a fire you need to get out right now uh and there was there was a fire in penn station that we didn't know about um and we were all just sitting there. So very, very believable, especially if you're going to mess with the speakers that presumably, yeah, I mean, that's that's your basic, you know, you pull the fire alarm. Surely somebody's checking to make sure that the fire alarm uh, alarm sounds everywhere that you're supposed to hear it. So, uh, yeah, I think a very believable moment there, doubly so. The clickets, the uh, the bug-like race uh, we we see in one of the first flashbacks I love this notion that certain actions or, you know, we've, we've dealt with the thing already before they've made fun of, oh, you step on grass on the planet with the people who wear the napkins and, you know, they're going to put you to death. So with the clickets, gratitude is an emotion you dare not show. Yeah, and certainly we've seen shades of that in Star Trek before where, you know, I was going to say there's the the bending bending over backwards to, to other cultures that's probably very very humanist of me but i think it's it's presented in that spirit of like oh boy now picard needs to do the big goodbye you know doc, 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 you know speech in the native language because it's important to them but kind of funny and quaint and weird to us um but again completely in line a with the world of star trek and b it's that pedal on the gas to get things going at the top of the episode well as long as picard doesn't do evasive maneuver 84 whatever that is everybody knows that that one is the worst except for the one situation when it's the best or impulse drive uh activation to do a crazy ivan not even a star trek thing we're dipping into red october now yeah yeah the uh the submarine maneuver it's actually funny pete i was like oh that's the real thing referenced in red october and then i was like my the source is oh i've read the hunt for red october many many times so i actually don't know if it's real but it is that idea where all of a sudden what you you bank extreme left or extreme right to see if somebody's in your uh in your sonar shadow right behind you so um i guess also not a good option when you can see the we can see the villainous force in front of you. I love that when it comes down to it, this episode confronts the notion that not everyone working on a Federation starship knows what's going on. Yeah. Among other things going on in this episode, it's, it's intended to knock the snow off the top of the mountain in terms of you know, really celebrating the lower decks aesthetic and that these people are on their way up and they make mistakes. And it's convenient for the fandom to say, 
but Kirk never made those mistakes. But Picard never made those mistakes when, in fact, you know, Pete, ask uh, the character who in uh, Longer Cuts is Scotty's nephew in Star Trek II. Ask him if Kirk ever made any mistakes because, Pete, uh, he's dead because of Kirk's mistakes. But, again, there's this, you know, there's... This is not an episode that's out to tease certain elements of the fandom, but it's out there where you say the Mount Rushmore of Star Trek is also, you know, the great, the great hallowed ground and Picard would never make a mistake. Uh, There were mistakes all the time. That's why plots happened. If this was indeed a party, Matt, why the eels? Why the seemingly redundant burners? It's asked at the end of the episode. We never get the answer. I think two thoughts. First is, you know, the episode makes it clear at the end of the episode, hey, this was meant to be a goofy construct and all the pieces don't necessarily match up. So I think that there's your there's your production answer. Uh, within the universe, though, why the eels, why the burners? Well, they got put in the vat with the eels. The eels did not immediately attack. So this is far from, you know, uh, uh throwing somebody into the shark uh you know the 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 shark tank and they're immediately ripped apart the piranha tank etc uh you know as for the burners uh, you know maybe it was just going to warm the water up a little bit um (laughs) i think ultimately we can assume that since the bridge crew did not react with you know no wait this cultural exchange has gone too far you're going to kill them uh that perhaps the bridge crew recognized none of this was a major threat in the end of the day we knew previously that Rutherford's first name was Sam, but now that it's been spoken by Clark, Samanthan, seemingly the male version of Samantha. Um, I did not catch that on first watch. Then on second watch, you know, I was like, wait, what? Yeah, I saw the subtitles, etc. Um, super fun. Again, I, I don't know that it's necessarily a reference to Michael Burnham in terms of Having having some fun with uh, making gendered names uh, neuter or the masculine of the feminine, that sort of thing. But um, sure, Samantha, that that works for me. There's no reason why that can't be a great name in the future. It just sounds weird to us now. Uh, and uh, I refer everyone to go uh, look the or look up the origin of the uh, the female name Madison to remind you that sometimes names can come out of the blue from weird sources like Tom Hanks movies. And that is a legit fact. We get a reference to the Star Trek enterprise doctor here, at least the race, Denoblian, uh, what with a flesh eating bacteria that you don't want to get on your, uh, don't say it, Pete, don't say it. (laughs) And it'll eat right through your underpants. It's lines like that where the show is at its best. I mean, it's, you wanna you wanna say the first uh, the first syllable of the, the 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 male organ and then have it interrupted with Billups, you know, as you said, it'll, it'll eat right through your underpants. I don't know how you say that without laughing, but uh, but Paul Shearer, you know, more than up to the task. Uh, it, it, it's this goofy extra world of Star Trek that we we get sometimes, you know, we get uh, in extras in Ten Forward, or we get with. Uh, the salt vampire back in classic Trek, who I know the, the the species makes a return here, but it's that that out there kind of stuff that usually gets pulled back by budget. And here they're able to they're able to draw what they want to draw, and they're able to throw in references left and right because of the irreverent tone of the show. 
the Vulcan stuff that comes up in this episode, you know, Spock and Spock lying on the floor of the um, Star Trek, the motion picture era uh, shuttle. Uh, and then the uh, first contact Vulcan ship glimpsed in the background of the museum there. You know, the Vulcan ships aren't sexy per se. They're not supposed to be by their very nature. You know, that um, first contact one pretty much looks like a mushroom or a strange, you know, rust-colored plant. Uh, but to throw them in there, again, just adds to the layers that Lower Decks has been uh, aiming for. Yeah, and then in that museum scene, you know, they're going kind of with the reverse Star Trek for, you know, Spock, hide your, uh, mm-hmm. hide your eyebrows, hide your ears with the, uh, with the headband here. They're hiding their lack of Vulcan eyebrows and Vulcan ears with the same outfit, um, which I guess is a super, <laughs> it's a super easy costume to put on for black ops. You just say, Oh yes, I do have those ears, but I, I wear the headband. <laughs> and then that they're confronted by the Starfleet security guy with the stupid helmet that we've seen going all the way back to uh, the motion picture. Yeah. Hopefully that armor works better now than it has in the past. (laughs) And get flipped over by, uh, by Sulu, the fan dance, Matt, Ahura's fan dance comes back in this episode. Yeah, it does. And I mean, a reference, uh, perhaps on some level best left unmade, uh, (laughs) Because I don't think Star Trek V is anyone's favorite, uh, except for William Shatner. Uh, but, uh, you know, a, a fun reference nonetheless. And I guess on a certain level works. I mean, it, it worked and it prevented the mission from melting down. We don't know how effective it was after the blackout. But, you know, it got the ball rolling. So I guess it couldn't have been all bad. So Billups, right, this mustachioed uh, member, he's with the bridge crew, but... It's not been quite clear who the heck he is. He's chief engineer. He is the chief engineer. Okay. Um, seems he served on the enterprise because when he's got the uh, nitrogen intoxication, uh, he's talking about Mark Twain having a gun. Uh, he tells Tasha to get away from the garbage bag behind her. Uh, are we going to link him up to the enterprise? Um. I'm not sure. I, as I've said before, there is this gray area that the show exists in where it's both authentically, you know, prime universe, just animated stories, but it's authentically prime universe while also having that kind of animated wink, you know, again, just for the style of it. Uh, am I going to, you know, is it a reference to Next Generation? Absolutely. Does that pin him to time on the enterprise versus here's another story um option maybe he uh maybe he is a big fan of uh recent history and has read all the books uh about picard's time on the enterprise d and all the all the adventures there you know much as one might be you know a, a fan of submarine warfare in the 1980s and that that sort of thing so again it's kind of this the show's having its cake and eating it too in a in a gray area I get that lower decks characters officers would do all the scut work on a starship, but why would Tendi, as a medical uh, 
she's not an officer, you know, as a, as a medical, uh, you know, support person be tidying up the conference room? Well, I think I, I, a couple of thoughts. First, I know when you're in medical school, even if you're going to focus on, you know, pick your focus on, on, uh, psychiatry or whatever, you're still going to rotate through all the different disciplines. So perhaps similarly, yes, you're, you're, uh, focusing on a medical, uh, career in Starfleet or, or engineering or ops, whatever it might be command, but you still might need to rotate through, uh, different parts of the ship to know it well, and indeed different duties. And since you are the lowest of the low, sometimes those duties are, you know, cleaning crew, um, uh, positions. Uh, I'm also reminded, you know, on naval ships, they and probably armed services in general, you know, they want to keep everybody busy. So if there is a bunch of downtime because you're in port and you know uh, they're they're loading up supplies or something like that, and most people have downtime, well, that's when you're gonna scrub, scrub, scrub the floor and make sure that every shiny thing is shining and scrub it again just to kind of to keep you busy, to keep you working towards a goal, uh, that sort of thing. So again, maybe it was. You know, uh, maybe she's on the two-week cycle that's a, a downshift from medical stuff, but now she's on to other uh, other basic drudgery. From my money, the funniest part of this episode was the whole Tendi recount, the cleaner that I hope we're going to return to at some point as a recurrent idea that she's been on these these missions, that she's developed this simpatico with Ransom and uh, has has proved her worth. Um, redacting the eyes, uh, not just of Starfleet personnel, but of Romulans, even the word or the, the syllables in neutral zone and Romulan. Yeah. And it took, it took a little while for that joke to get up to boiling speed when you realize that, you know, I, I, I think the last bleep is, you know, is Ransom saying raw beep then the beep ends Yulin, and it's like oh he just went rom Yulin, and they put the beep in there like that's the whole joke versus other stuff it's just uh for example pete uh dr tana has a has has a word that is completely beeped although it's weird <laughs> they give they give the mouth animation a two syllable uh two syllable motion even though there's yeah, Pete, I can't quite fully understand it but then I guess I guess that's... I don't know what's getting shaved but yeah <laughs> um my goodness, the show works on so many levels. Let's let's put it that way. We got the stealth suits again. Correct me if I'm wrong. We only ever had them in that two-parter with uh, Picard, Crusher, and Worf. And now they've been in two episodes, back-to-back episodes at that of Lower Decks. I mean, they cut a they they, they cut a good, I don't know, good look, a serious look. Um, I must confess, a quick look here in Memory Alpha. I'm not getting anything for Stealth Suit, uh, but I don't know. I think it, it, it its use in Lower Decks fits the um, fits the stories that they're telling. What's interesting in what's interesting is in back to back stories you have um, you have use of the suits kind of in the background, like these background stories. Um, the first, you know, last week Freeman and Company with the secret plant, the plant mission. And then this week, the story a bit more in the fore since, uh, since Tendi is on the mission for that part of the story, but 
the big story of rescuing Clar and and all that, you know, again, weirdly remains uh, in the background. The Q appearance, again, we knew was coming, but that it happened in such a way with the, the strange puzzle that's presented, but the song. And I really hope that, I think it's just a matter of when we have some more Q stuff go on in Lower Decks. They return to this goofy aspect, something that would never work in a live action episode with the clue, with the clue, with the cue. Uh, and here you could do a song, a musical number, etc. Yeah, certainly it was more goofiness than we've seen. But as I said before, I think that overall our memory of Q is goofy. Um, and then you say, but encountered Farpoint and all good things. Yeah, it was bookended by a certain malice, but you know, Q played for laughs most of the time, and here they're just going for extra, extra laughs. To me, it makes a ton of sense. Dr. Tana gets on the wrong ship with a captain that strangely looks like uh, Captain Freeman, but is male, and then Billups kind of looks like her. (laughs) It was a good gag. Yeah, it was. and That's one of those things where, you know, I read it more as a gag than what are the odds that there would be the exact same basic shapes to them, but they look different. Like that's, that's something you can say that's pure comedy. I don't need to accept. I don't need to fully accept the reality of what they showed me kind of similar. And I know it's a, it's perhaps a slightly different or or, or more clear delineation of reality, but like you think of the, the Riker caught in the mind prison episode where it's all inception. You don't know what's real and what isn't. There are certain scenes in that where you say, okay, I can now go back and look and say that was not real. Same thing here. I don't think that that literally 100% happened in the world of Star Trek that I'm going to hold up to. You know, here is here is the 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 primary source thing that Gene once said. Uh, it's just all part of the good fun. I mean, is it any goofier, Matt, than a giant Spock or the Crusher ghost story with the lamp? Um, giant Spock, I was going to, going to allow as, as not that goofy just because of the particulars, especially the, you know, TAS and all that. But, uh, when you throw down Crusher and the sexy time ghost lamp, (laughs) that just wins, that wins any argument of ridiculousness in Star Trek. And to use it where Boimler does. Okay, so we've now strangely redeemed what is on the short list of the worst next generation, nay, Star Trek episodes of all time. Uh, We're just one more Alan Moraine jump back home (laughs) reference from from really getting to the bottom of the barrel. Alan Moraine, indeed, or maybe I should drop the mic after I've yelled drumhead. (laughs) Um, What's funny is, it's easy to miss that line just in the the way the music is going and he's yelling and all that. Um, but again, it, it it's part of the aesthetic of the show from the highest highs to the lowest lows. Um, to dare take this, you know, what essentially is a miscommunication episode. You know, it's a party that they're misreading as a trial of all trials. And to, to reference, you know, the best trial in Star Trek and, you know, in Drumhead, that speech in the end. Pete, I think we're still waiting for that moment when the speech happens 
and somebody in power says, oh, wait, you're right. I'm going to stop this ridiculousness. <laughs> we'll get there, but we're just not there yet. Um, you know, to mix it all together, it's just a reminder, Star Trek, in addition to inspiring people to be better and overcome their their shortcomings and and find a community together and all that star trek is also a tv show where you can just have fun and be in a nice event silo for some historic etching but never answered and again in keeping with the theme of this episode of of plot holes what did clar do to the romulans to wind up in this uh this box Oh my goodness, Pete. Look, it's the Romulans, okay? I know Star Trek is very progressive and very open, okay? The Klingons, once the communist Russians, you know, now elevated towards uh, friends and, you know, Worf in 1987 has brought down the Berlin Wall before the Berlin Wall came down, all that jazz. Um, The Romulans, consistently the bad guys in the 60s, uh, I don't know if there's any Romulan stuff in the animated series, but the, the the specter of Romulan baddies in the 70s and brought back in the end of season one and next generation in the 80s and, not, and so on and so forth. So I think we can all agree Romulans boo and uh, they can always be baddies to us. With that, let's go to Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. We start with the weekly Twitter poll for this episode. The votes... Pete, the options, Lieutenant Loserland got 5.3%, Commander Salt Vampire got 5.3%, Captain Light Glow got 10.5%, and then Admiral Awesome Sauce got 78.9%, so flying high in the voting, uh, as as many of these episodes have. Some replies on Twitter, uh, first one, fastest phaser gun in the West, Andre Jaeger, that's at Dr. Polo 1983. This was the absolute best episode of Lower Decks. Loved the comedy timing of it, and the Q cameos were awesome. Also, almost every other sentence was a Star Trek history lesson. Great writing on this one. We also heard from James, that's at Big Killin'. Dialogue is hilarious. The nods are over the top, but that's the point. This is solid, smart fun for any true Star Trek fan. Pete, fan with a PH. <laughs> Uh, we heard from JT Adkins. That's at JTA is me. Love it. Kirk McCoy's Klingon trial is one of my favorite movie bits. This one just needed a bit of, sh- uh, just needed a Shakespeare quote. Also, wait, rebooting. <laughs> Pete, lastly, okay, a tweet from Rose Ferry. That's at Anna Rose584. A reminder, Pete, that we're not out of the woods yet with the CBS All Access infrastructure. She said, I would vote except the CBS app won't show the episode. Oops, <sighs> fatal error. Oops, that's not helpful. So a trouble week with after tr- I, I gave them some props that it had been better, that I've only had one error since we've started back up. Uh, that's that's not good to hear. I don't know with discovery coming next and more discovery coming after that. Let's hope that Paramount Plus, Matt, uh, doesn't use the same programmers. I'll mention as a tangent, Pete, there was an article uh, on The Hollywood Reporter. I know I tweeted it yesterday. I think it was also published yesterday, September 25th. But uh, I know we've given All Access a lot of guff. Um, I think also, too, I don't know to what degree on the podcast, we've talked about kind of the business end in part because you and I kind of get bored with business talk. But um, this financial person quoted in the article saying that because of the 
resources that CBS, that Viacom CBS has, uh, and the strengths in their streamer, despite some of the, the the negatives, it could end up being the fourth place streamer behind Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu, and then uh, then what will be Paramount Plus. I think from a business point of view, and you look at the debt. What about some, Amazon? Um, I don't know why Amazon wasn't mentioned. Certainly, financially, Amazon Prime is in a good position. Maybe from a <laughs> maybe from an industry point of view, Amazon, you know, Amazon might be considered to be kind of not all in. I mean, yes, they have some top top shows, and you know, uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is fantastic, but I don't know that they're. I don't know that they're churning through the amount of stuff that that the other ones are in terms of new productions, um, or maybe because it is an offshoot of the place where you get really great deals on you know uh, underwear and watch bands. You know that it's it's in a different category in terms of it needing to be a streamer that's on its own. But financially, the point being, Pete, financially, the future for CBS All Access slash Viacom in terms of its uh, ability to continue uh, has some high marks from those financial people. So hopefully they, they get the technical stuff fixed along the way before that's that's the thing that uh, you know kills the beast. But Pete, enough discussion on the beast that is sometimes CBS All Access. Let's talk about the beauty of the mind, the beauty of the voice, what some people say is the beauty physically. That specimen, I talk, of course, about Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1, Episode 8. From the beginning I thought this must be a dream, or a simulation, or something like that. Well, actually it was a party, but it took me a little bit too long to find out what it really was. In the concept it was okay, but just took a little too long. And what also took too long is the appearance of Q. Well, of course, we didn't know he would appear in this episode. But then when he finally did, I thought, okay, they could have shown him earlier and he could have had a bigger role. But perhaps he will come back in the next few episodes. And it was, of course, nice to hear John Delancey's Q's actor, uh, his voice. I think he has the record of most crossovers between the different Star Trek series, from Voyager to Deep Space Nine to The Next Generation and now Lower Decks. The opening scene of course reminded us from the trial that Kirk and McCoy got um, when they got convicted to Rura Pente, though I was thinking it was something like that. I thought Tandy telling the story but not disclosing everything with the black boxes in front of their heads was quite funny. Of course, in medicine, we use that often when we do presentations and we don't want to show the identity of a patient. And that it at the end was a party, I found a little bit far-fetched, actually. Okay, that was all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Was it a dream? Was it a simulation here, Matt? Is Fred talking about this episode or the year 2020? Yeah, if we're going to be unclear as to the nature of things in a Star Trek episode, this is the year to do it. So uh, it was interesting to hear Fred 
uh, wonder if the reveal, you know, for him, the reveal came a bit too late. I think that if we had Mike McMahon on the podcast and Mike, uh, I'm sure you're listening, open invite. Um, probably I think the answer would be, Hey, we were saving that for the climax of the episode, the reveal, you know, three quarters of the way through that kind of thing. But Pete, I will not, uh, I will not debate Fred's taste in what works for him. On cue here, was it just the right amount? We want some more. Um, have to imagine, like I said, that he's on the short list for Picard. Um, but I, I think just the right amount here. It is interesting to think, you know, what what would a lower decks episode powered by Q, uh, you know, dramatically powered by by a Q threat, a Q presence, what would that do and would that be too much nostalgia i know i've said it a couple times in the podcast before but for my taste i think that i think the cue is played out by and large i don't think that you can do a cue episode anymore in any format and maybe animation might be the the closest to an exception but if q is going to show up in picard season two you know let that not be the 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 drive of the episode let it be for some yucks or he got kicked out of the continuum again and now he's a sidekick that sort of thing but you know it's kind of like you know superman and no kryptonite you need something to slow q down uh to me it left me wanting more in a good way pete fred coming to us the best way possible each week sharing his thoughts his wisdom how can people be in touch with you to talk about lower decks to talk about star trek discovery to talk about uh, WandaVision, etc. You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. 11,563 followers can't be wrong. Lost a couple in the great Twitter purge the other day. So jump on there and help me restore those. Pete, while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast one and all. Visit fantasticgeek.com, comment there, check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word. Like it today. We're coming up on a big milestone there, so you're going to want to be a part of it. Pete, barring any earth-shattering news from the realms of Marvel, Star Trek, or Star Wars, we will be back next Saturday uh, to talk the next episode of Star Trek Lower Decks. Oh my goodness, Pete, the, the end in sight. I can't quite believe that we are. It, do we really only have two episodes left? It's only two episodes. Bittersweet indeed, but of course, uh, plenty of discovery behind it. But for now, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. Today didn't have to end in eels. 